In Matthew 4.19, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Join us in this conversation as we discuss following Jesus, leadership, and doing life with others. Welcome to the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. We are back at the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast talking today with Terry Cooper. He is a friend of mine who has been a proven discipling leader here in the Mount Pisgah community for years, and has been slated as one of our 419 teachers uh, in the past. And he's going to bring to us today all kinds of wisdom and experience around what it means to be a disciple who makes disciples. So thanks for being with us, Terry. Hey, pleased to be here. Pleased to be here. This is a new experience for me. Well, you can't tell it. You, you can't tell it. Now, we um, today, uh, Terry brings a, a different approach in many ways to disciple-making because he's been in the church uh, actually for quite a while. Uh, if I understand right, you grew up, were you born in a church or did you just grow up in a church? Oh, no. We grew up in a church, um, born and raised in the Midwest. Uh, we attended the United Church of Christ uh, for, well, till we moved away from St. Louis, so 30 three years, I guess, okay. same church, most of that time, same pastor. Wow. Um, and uh, so it was, it was, it was church light, I would call it. Okay. It was, you know, they, they practiced the 10 suggestions. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. And you're, if I recall from our time together, your mom worked at the church or something? Mom was the uh, organist. Ah. So our claim to fame was that our church had Alice Cooper as the organist. Literally, literally. Your mom's name Alice. My mom's name Alice. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. All right. So uh, she was organist off and out forever. Right? That's right. Yeah. So, and it's funny because you know here at Mount Pisgah, well, and at, at Due West as well, sang in the choir, and okay. never growing up did my mother even suggest that I sing in the choir. Is that because she'd heard you, or probably? But <laughs> as I look back, it's it's kind of one of my regrets that. You know, I didn't share that that experience with her uh-huh. um, when I when we moved down here. Well, we, first we moved from St. Louis to Tallahassee, Florida, okay. and we visited some churches. Never found one that felt comfortable like the one at home. Okay, and so as a result, we just drifted away mm. for seven years, I guess. What got you coming back into church and church community? Um, I came within about twenty four hours of meeting Jesus. Wow. Had some health issues, uh, colon perforated. I was in the hospital when it happened. Fortunately, I probably wouldn't have made it. Wow. And uh, during my recovery time, the chaplain would come in once a day and drop off a little devotional book and have a, have a short prayer. And I got to where I was looking for, I was in the hospital 21 days. I was looking forward to that each day as he came in. And so when, we, when I got out and got my strength back, we started attending a Methodist church that was literally a quarter mile on the street that we lived on. Had been there the whole time, um, and never joined. But we, you know, came became pretty regular uh, attendees there. And um, so then we moved here to Atlanta, and we joined Due West United Methodist out in Marietta. Okay. And uh, we were members there for ten years, and uh, got involved in the choir and uh, the uh, United Methodist men. Uh, which is really where my first experience with discipleship happened. It wasn't formal. It wasn't anything that was um, designed for that. Mm-hmm. But I connected with a couple of men that really mentored me, mm-hmm. one in particular. And uh, 
And I think that's kind of where my my interest in that started. Um, 11 years ago, we moved from uh, Potter Springs to Cumming, came over here. You know, we were going to visit some churches, and my brother and his wife are members here. Okay. First Sunday, there's boxes everywhere. I'm two weeks away from a hip replacement. It's like, you know what? Let's just go with Keith and Jenny. We'll just... We'll just settle. We'll just we'll just settle for that, <laughs> and then the next week we kind of did the same thing. And before long, we're here regularly. Alan Hunt was the pastor at the time, and Keith and I are at, at uh, lunch, and we're arguing about Alan's sermon. Ah, and Keith, as, finally, as brothers do, as brothers do, and Keith says, "When are you going to join the church? Because you know you're going to do it." <laughs> so we joined on Christmas Eve. That's a good membership. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. When are you going to join? Because you know you're going to do it. Because you know you're going to do it. When? So in all this church involvement you've had, when did the light bulb start going off for you uh, about the Great Commission? That Jesus was saying, go into all the world, make disciples. And how did that first start resonating with you? You know, it's funny. The, growing up, I know I knew Jesus was my Savior. I heard that he was supposed to be my Lord. I didn't really hear how to do that. Uh-huh. Once we connected it at uh, Due West, I heard a recurring theme that I needed to have a relationship with Jesus. Hmm. That was new for you. That was new. Again, didn't hear a lot about how to make that happen. <laughs> but like I said, I got involved with the United Methodist men, and, and one guy in particular kind of took me under his well, He also sung, sang in the choir, um, and he just kind of mentored me in terms of getting involved in the church, getting involved in the annual uh, United Methodist Men Retreat out at Rock Eagle. And so, that's probably where I heard it for the first time. So was this guy discipling you? Was that how you would say that? I, he was. I don't know that it was formal. Okay. It was It was more of an informal thing. Um, but don't, yeah, he... Uh, but do you, don't you see that when you really look at the way Jesus called those disciples and worked with them? I mean... Do you see that as formal or informal? Oh, it started out very informal. You yeah, know, it and, to be. and uh, yeah, I, I remember the uh, the first time that that the Rock Eagle thing came up. Um, this is a men's retreat. The men's retreat. Okay. Yeah, at, at one time before Katrina, they would have eleven hundred men that would go to the Rock Eagle, four yeah. H camp uh, once a year. So we had our our monthly men's breakfast, and we're talking about Rock Eagle. And so after that, I went upstairs to the bulletin board and put my name on the sheet, went into worship, didn't hear a word the pastor said, because all I could think about was, how am I going to get out of here and go take my name off of that sheet? Because I don't know what in the heck I was thinking. <laughs> you had men's retreat regret. Yes. Signers yes, regret, indeed. Huh? So, but by the time I got back, there were three or four other names there. Okay. So if I took my name off, there'd be a hole and, you know, so. An image is everything. That's so, right. Yeah. yeah. So. so so I went, and uh, it was it was an incredible experience. It was yeah. the first time that I really felt the spirit stirring inside me. And what was the spirit telling you or stirring in you? That I wasn't engaged. Ah, uh-huh. I needed to do more. Okay. And uh, starting with me, and so uh, we came back from that, um, got involved in more of the activities of, of the UMM, and. Uh, a couple of years later, it went went every year when it came up. A couple of years later, I actually brought my brother from St. Louis down, and he went with us. Wow. And that was an incredible experience to do that with that him. That started the ball rolling for you. And then how did you get into your first uh, discipleship group or uh, scenario? Sure. So um, shortly at, well, 
Yeah, but about nine months after Steve arrived here, <laughs> he um, formed a small group, 12 men. So this is a new pastor of the church. Yeah, new driving. pastor of the church. And uh, for whatever reason, I got a call from his administrative assistant, wanted to know if I'd be interested in participating. I said, sure. What I didn't know at the time, this group was meeting on Tuesday. The Wednesday prior to our first meeting, I got fired. From your career? From my career. Wow. So I come in on Tuesday, feeling a little like a deer in the headlights. I've never been through this before. And we, we get there, a little chit-chat. I knew one other guy in the room. Mm. And so Steve gets up and he writes the theme verse on the whiteboard, Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. And what does that say? For, the, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, oh, plans yeah. to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Then you'll come to me and pray to me, and I'll hear you. You will seek me, and you'll find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Now, I didn't know it then, okay? So I've got my Bible, using a paper Bible at the time, if you can believe it. <laughs> so I flip it over, rifle through the pages. I find it. I read it, and I break down sobbing in front of 11 guys I just met. At the first meeting. The first meeting. <laughs> and they're looking at me like, what the heck is wrong with this guy? <laughs> and so that verse has become kind of my life verse. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Yeah. And so that, that small group, we just did the, the five steps of Christian growth. That group morphed into another group, which was about 50 guys that lasted wow. a few weeks. And then after that, about 15 of us continued to meet on Tuesdays, and that group eventually became a covenant group. Okay. So we were probably a year and a half before we really said, okay, this is what we're about, and this is what we're going to do. Now, you just said something interesting to me that I... So you go from never having been hardly involved in church to saying that you were in a group for a year and a half. Uh, that sounds like a pretty big commitment for a lot of people, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, I had, I had been through some other groups as well. We did, back at Due West, I did three of the four disciple Bible study. Okay. Uh, and those things. are like 32 weeks each Yeah, one. exactly. And then okay. here at Mount Pisgah, I actually led one. Okay. Uh, disciple one. It was funny. I would, on a Sunday morning, they were handing out cards saying, we're looking for people to lead yeah. uh, some Bible studies. And disciple Bible was one of the things listed on there. And I'm looking at that in the car, and I said, Hmm, I've never heard much about Disciple Bible. Maybe I ought to, maybe I ought to volunteer for that. Yeah. <laughs> and my wife says, well, if you'll, if you'll lead it, I'll do it. Oh, okay. And the first thing I thought was, oh, crap, did I say that out loud? <laughs> I did not mean to use my out loud voice. There goes that remorse again. That's right. Immediate yeah. remorse. <laughs> but we signed up and did it. There were, there were six couples. Um, and, uh, and during that season, she and I both attended Walk to Emmaus. Which another retreat, right? That you'd expect. So you talked about um, how all these groups kind of led you to this covenant group. What, in your experience, what's different in all these other groups versus a covenant group? I, to me, being in a covenant relationship is a deeper connection okay. than just a weekly Bible study or a Sunday morning Sunday school class. Uh, I mean, we take deep dives into each other's lives. We know the background. We know, you know, where the bodies are buried. <laughs> and and uh, uh, That's that's figuratively. Figuratively. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, you know, yeah, you know, maybe, yeah, hopefully. hopefully. Um, and so, you know, for me, it was having that deep relationship with people that right. when I've got something heavy on my heart, I can share it. Yeah. You know, what we say there stays mm -hmm. there. Um the other thing about it is it's intentional. 
I learned a, a little bit about how to be a disciple from my buddies back at Due West, but it was never formal. We never practiced anything. In the, in the covenant group early on, you know, we talk about sharing our, our spiritual journeys. We talk about the four spiritual laws. We talk about the five keys. And we practice it. You know, you develop your, okay. uh, your testimony in a, in a 30-second version, a two-minute version, and a 10-minute version. And we practice those. And those are real transferable skills that you guys are exactly, working on. Exactly. And, and what that does is that when you go out in the real world, when you leave the holy huddle, as I call it, yeah. <laughs> you know, when you get out in, in outside the four walls yeah. and you have an opportunity, now you're equipped. Yeah. And so that's the, that's the important thing. My, my career changed in 08. I went from corporate America, uh, chief financial officer, and, you know, big deal. Now I'm just big. So you know, it's, <laughs> that's kind of the way life goes. And I became a, a financial advisor. Okay. So I meet one-on-one -on -one with people. And at first, I was kind of reluctant to share my story. Over time, as I became more comfortable about sharing my story, by golly, if they crack the window even just a little bit, I'm all the way through it. And Good. this is why I do what I do. Is that because it seemed like the, the change for you, if I heard you right, was you went from a kind of an unintentional exposure to spiritual formation, discipleship, to a more intentional process. Uh, you, you use the word formal, I think. Um, it, is that because you found that it's more transferable if it's more intentional or more formal? Uh, transferable, certainly. I think it's, if, if everybody's doing it, it takes some of the uh, fear factor away. Okay. You know, if I share my testimony and then I ask you to share your testimony, well, you've seen me do it. You've seen me stumble over the words you see me and mm. and we practice it over and over to get it refined mm -hmm. uh, bill onus always challenges us to be able to give our 30 second testimony without using sunday school words yeah yeah i like that yeah well it so if if somebody in your group let's say you're doing the testimonies and um or your faith journeys or whatever you want to call it how you came to christ um and and they see you being vulnerable as the leader uh how is how have you seen that play out for other men in your group? Did it cause them to recoil from you being vulnerable, or did it cause them to actually become vulnerable themselves? I I could feel the veil coming off other people hmm. when I you know the the leaders always did it first. So when I got up and did mine, and if it wasn't you know really really polished, I think it's more genuine. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I, there were, there were, in our case, there were two guys in the group that I always felt were kind of, you know, arm's length, mm -hmm. you know, they're giving you the stiff arm. Yeah. I'll, I'll be Heisman. here. Yeah. <laughs> and, and after we did that yeah. and I shared, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly, they were more open. They were more really? engaged, uh, because they saw that I was willing to be, be transparent. I've seen that too. And um, I think the great work Brene Brown does, um, she, I heard her say one time that vulnerability is the ultimate sign of courage. And at first I didn't know how I felt about that because I'm a guy and got vulnerable to a guy is not a positive word. Right. right. Uh, but what I heard her reveal in that is that when you see somebody up on a stage or speaking in front of a group and they become vulnerable with their story, 
we always see that as courageous. We always go, wow, that took a lot of guts to share that. But when it's the one given the story, you're always thinking, oh no, people are thinking less of me. And we don't, the one giving it doesn't see it as courageous. Right, right. But everybody listening to you goes, wow, that took a lot of guts. I wonder if I have that kind of strength or self-awareness or courage to share my my story. But I, I love what you're saying that it... It, you said took the veil off. It created a, a, a more of a community. Sure. Yeah. What was interesting, I, I shared earlier about how when we moved away from home for the first time, we kind of, I call that my, my desert season, mm. you know, about seven years or so. Every one of us in our group, if you, if you took the line that you draw, okay. every one of us had that kind of a season somewhere in their lives. Hmm. And just kind of a dip in the radar. Exactly. Exactly. And so it was interesting when everybody had been through it and we saw that it's like, Hey, you know what? I'm not any different than anybody else. And that's cool. (laughs) Yeah, that's cool. You know, so we kind of locked arms and and go from there. So that's great. Well, I know that, uh, you have this concept that you, you talk about teach around a Paul Barnabas, Timothy, kind of a model. Uh, I think it'd help our people listening today to understand that because it's something that I think would help them understand where they are in that journey. And then also it's a concept they can teach and use in their own covenant groups or discipleship groups too. Um, What is it about the Paul Barnabas Timothy model you could share with us? Well, for me, uh, I shared that, you know, back in in, at Due West when I first got involved in the men's group, I was in the Timothy role. Didn't think about it that way at the time, but I had a couple guys that were kind of pouring into me and, and pulling me through, pulling me along, dragging me sometimes. Um, and I was growing. Didn't Again, didn't realize it wasn't anything intentional. It was just happening. Once I came here and got involved in a covenant group, then it became more of a, uh, a tag team, if you will. Um, along the way, Bill Creech and I have become more than brothers. I mean, almost blood brothers. Um, and Bill and I led our covenant group together. So we're tag teaming. So some days I'm Paul, he's Barnabas. Some days he's Paul and I'm Barnabas. It just kind of depends on what's happening. Bill has probably done more for me spiritually than anybody else I can, I can name wow. any, any single uh, individual. Um, but Bill is just a lay person like you who sure. is, he's not on staff. He's not paid to be a leader. Right. He's just following God's yeah. call, right? I was I was honored to be his sponsor at Walk to Emmaus. Wow. And we've okay. served together on Walk to Emmaus. He, he's the one that actually got me involved in Chrysalis. And it, he just, he kind of pestered me and, yeah. you know, it just kind of, kind of dripped on me and dripped on me. And finally I said, okay, I'm going to go ahead and do this and shut him up. Yeah. <laughs> Get him <laughs> well, off that, my back. Yeah. That was four years ago and I haven't <laughs> missed one since. So. So these retreats that you guys have been involved in leading and serving, um, sounds like that's been a, a bonding experience for you. What? So how? So the Timothy then, if I get this right, is kind of more the student. Yes. Yeah. That's the way I see it, and and that's the the way I felt. Um, certainly in the covenant group, um, a pastor friend of mine uh, who's sitting here in this room told me one time that I didn't have to have the answers. I just had to be a half a step ahead of everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) And honestly, that was what kind of gave me the courage to raise my hand and say, okay, I'll, I'll go ahead and and lead this thing. Okay. Just a half a step ahead, but you got to stay a half a step ahead. Right. Right. (laughs) right. And certainly I found that leading the group 
I felt it more important to be prepared, maybe even a little overprepared for the, for the meetings uh-huh. than I was just as a participant. Okay. Um, and then our group, our, our first covenant group, uh, eventually winnowed down to about 10, mm-hmm. which is still a little That's on a the large, high side, a I large think. Group, yeah. Um, and I mean, they were pretty regular, you know, it was odd if we had more than two out. Mm. Um, but after we'd been together now for good golly, four and a half, five years, mm-hmm. uh, a pastor friend of mine who's in this room came in and said, okay, you know what guys, <laughs> it's time to multiply. Mm. And I was sitting across the table yeah. from Bill at the time. And we just kind of looked at each other and it's like, yeah, he's right. Time and to so go. that's when we broke away. And out of that group, initially we had four covenant groups that spawned from that. Yeah, it multiplied. Yeah, it multiplied. And so we went from having 10 guys sharing and learning and growing to having 35 or 40 sharing and growing. Yeah. So... Well, I had I heard I was at a conference this week and a wonderful conference. I give a plug out to Robbie Gallaty and all that he's doing, um, and um, with uh, with Replicate Ministries. But I heard one of his guys say um, that he was working at this church and there was this group that came up to him and said, "Aren't you so proud of us? We've been meeting together for ten years, twelve years, or whatever." And he said he had to be sensitive to that because he didn't want to criticize them. And he said to them, "Well, thank you for your faithfulness uh, to the church." Um, but aren't you glad that the 120 in the upper room can't say that or didn't do that? You know, I mean, if they would have in the upper room, the 120 that had been following Jesus stayed there for 10 years, yeah. <laughs> the church would never have grown, right? Right. And so uh, I, I, I do admire you for that, of realizing that, you know, we've been meeting together, now it's we're where we need to be to now go and multiply. And so so you, as a as a leader, then, have... It sounds like you have Timothys, people in your group that are learning from you. You have Barnabases, which are peers, friends like Bill and the others that you've mentioned. Uh, but then having a Paul, and I guess that's somebody that is pouring into your life. Right. And um, do you find that that's normal for a lot of guys, that everybody can name their Paul, their Barnabases, and their Timothys? Probably not for everybody. Um, in my case, the Pauls that I have are guys like Bill Lonas. Um, Bill still pours into me, even though we're not formally in a group any longer. Mm-hmm, but just um, randomly, time to time. Exactly, exactly. And uh, you and Steve and... Uh, You're different pastors. Uh, different pastors. You know, I've, I've been very involved, as, as you know, in Walk to Emmaus and Chrysalis. So I've connected with a bunch of pastors I counted one time. I think I've got 30 pastors that are friends with me on Facebook. Mm-hmm. So I got to, <laughs> it makes me think about what I post. I'll say that. <laughs> um, but those guys pour into me, okay. um, particularly Bill Harris. Uh, he's uh, very involved with Chrysalis. So so you, you're in this position where you have Barnabas's pouring into you, or excuse me, Paul's pouring into you, Barnabas is encouraging you, and Timothy's that you're investing in. Right. Terry, that is the perfect position to be in. I, I can only imagine that if everybody out there listening had that, that you had people were pouring into you, you're pouring into, and then you had encouragement friends, peers, so to speak, that that is like, uh, I think I heard a term, like the spiritual greenhouse or the sweet spot. Um, how would you recommend, a, if someone is out there today and they're like, you know, I have people investing in me, but I don't have anybody I'm investing in, or 
I don't have any spiritual friends or I don't have that person investing in me. How would you recommend them to put themselves in that perfect position? Well, the first thing, you need to be part of a covenant group. If, you, if, you're, if you've never been part of a covenant group, you need to do that because you're going to grow. It's like, it's like putting the fertilizer on the flowers, man. Mm. It, just, it just makes you grow so much faster. Once you've experienced that, um, then you need to step out in faith, find somebody that you can partner with, lock arms, and just go do it. I mean, it's... Uh, yeah, two by two, right? Yeah, exactly. It, you know, Jesus sent them out two by two. And uh, and you need to have somebody to tag team with. If for no other reason, then there's going to be a week that you can't be there for some reason. But it's also good that one of you leads the discussion and the other one observes. We never sat side by side mm-hmm. in our covenant, my, myself and Bill. We never sat side by side. We'd either sit across the corner or across the table so that one of us could be observing and uh, and the other one, you know, leading the discussion. It's really a, yeah, that's really a Paul Barnabas kind of model, isn't it? You're together, you're out on the mission. Well, I would, I agree with you. And I would also say that if, um, if you're out there and you're just, there's a piece of that um, s- a s- schematic or scenario that's missing for you. In other words, if you don't have people you're investing in, or if you don't have somebody that is investing in you, or you don't have these spiritual peers, we call them Barnabases. Uh, first thing that you know, I would say, pray, pray for God to fill those relationships, and then what I hear you say, Terry, is then get engaged in a group. Find a group of people that are committed to the discipleship process. Talk to your pastor. Uh, contact us on four nineteen. We'll help you figure out how to get plugged in somewhere, wherever you are, and uh, and and put yourself in position to grow and to be used by God. I, I think. And watching your life over the last several years, that's what I admire about about you. You have literally, whether it was your idea or not, <laughs> you put yourself in a, in the perfect position uh, to to grow and to lead. I appreciate that. Well, and that's yeah. that's what discipleship is all about. It's not having all the answers. Yeah. The other thing is, you need to have your radar up. Um, get involved in fellowship groups, Sunday school. You know, we have the men's breakfast every Thursday over at, at Uptown Cafe, uh, and just keep the keep your ears open. Somebody's going to say something, um, and then you just you strike up a conversation. You know, uh, when we talk about uh, at Emmaus, we talk about Christian action. You know, make a friend, be a friend, and bring that friend to Christ. Mm. Now, most of the people we're association with here at the church already know Christ, so that's that part's easy. But getting them engaged to take that next step. Um, you know, if you had asked me, do you want to do this? There's no way on earth I'd have said yes. But <laughs> Or if you had, you'd immediately regretted it. Exactly. I'd have gone, gone and tried to erase my name <laughs> off the list again. Uh, but the way it happened, just, you know, gradually, one step at a time. Yeah. And then pretty soon you look back and you say, wow, how did I get here? Yeah. I, I think, I think the, the early disciples that Jesus had had the same story. I don't think it was a one-day event. I think it was time he spent, invested in them, watched them, observed them, invited them, loved them, and before you know it, you're you're involved. And I, I see that as a very—I think that's an encouraging thing for everybody listening today, is that it's not this one magic moment. It's it's a series of, of engagements that, that—again, I want to go back to that concept of putting you in position. 
So what I would challenge you to do if you're listening today out there is to put, you know, draw this out. Put yourself in the center of the picture. Draw a smiley face or whatever, and then draw some circles beside you. Those would be your Barnabases. Draw a circle above you. That would be your Paul. And then draw some circles below you, and that would be your Timothys. And then put real names in those circles of people that are actually playing those roles in your life. And if they're not, then that's the prayer. Lord, fill these circles. Fill these spaces in my life. Because without all of those being filled, uh, we think that... You're not in the perfect position for God to 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 grow uh, in your life and for God to use you uh, as a disciple. So, Terry, you're a living example to us. Uh, I love you. I appreciate you coming on today and encouraging folks. Is there any uh, words you would say for a guy out there who's kind of sitting on the fence, maybe doesn't even know this exists, stumbled on this podcast somehow? Any parting words for them? Um, what's the Nike uh Tagline: yeah, Just do it. Just do it. <laughs> just do it. Um, if you're if you're not sure, look me up. Come find me. Mm. I'd be happy to encourage you. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, you know talk to somebody else that's that's doing it. And uh, anybody, I've never come across anyone who's been involved in a covenant group and regretted it. Wow. So quite a statement. Absolutely. Well, go out there and make disciples. Fulfill the Great Commission as a lifestyle. If we can help you, that's why we exist. Go to 419schoolofdisciplemakers.org. All of our resources are there. They're free. They always will be free. Videos, content, testimonies, and you can contact us. Uh, If Terry, I'll put you in touch with Terry. I'm not going to give out his email here on this one, but I'll uh, give it to you if you reach out to us uh, through there. So uh, God bless you, and uh, thanks again, Terry. Glad to do it. For more information, check out our website, 419disciplemakers.org. Join us again next week as we continue our conversation on the 419 Disciple Makers podcast.